Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super excited for you to dive into this episode. But before we dive in, I really want to share this awesome, awesome product that I found because one thing that I get frustrated with when it comes to running gear is when it doesn't last long. Whether it rips, tears, or just wears away, it sucks to have to keep buying new stuff. I know I've been there many times before. Plus, when you do these things, it isn't sustainable for the planet either because you're always throwing away different things. But I recently started to try this gear that lasts long, has a five-year guarantee, is super comfortable, has extremely fun colors, and helps to support clean water programs around the world. The gear is from Janji, and you got to check them out. They make high-performance running apparel such as shorts, tanks, shirts, jackets, and more, all built to explore the world on the run. Not only do they have a five-year guarantee where they'll replace any product that wears away, but their stuff is super comfortable, breathable, and easy to move in especially in those summer months where it gets hot and you need something that keeps you to cool. We all know that heat is coming and we need something cool to keep us on those trail runs. Plus, 2% of their sales go towards nonprofits working on viable clean water solutions, so it's a way to give back and feel good about where your money is going. They have super bright colors and artwork designed by talented artists all across the world, so you'll stand out on the trail. I know I always like to wear the brightest stuff out there, so if you're in the same boat as me, they got stuff for you for sure. My favorite products uh, by John G have been the Transit Tech short and the Run All Day tee. And I like the Transit shorts because they're lightweight, easy to move on my runs, especially when I'm climbing hills or doing faster efforts. And because they don't have a liner in them, it doesn't chafe for me on the longer runs, especially when I'm sweating a ton. And we all know how much chafing is awful. I also like the Run All Day tee because it feels like you're barely wearing anything out there, which keeps you so cool on a hot day. But it also feels like you're really, really cool whenever you're wetting it down or having that topical cooling thing, which we all know is the key to staying cool on your hot training runs or your races. And the coolest thing about both these items is that you can tell they last very, very long. I've been out on these on long runs already and the gear just lasts. Like you can tell like there's no wear, there's no tear. It really goes out there and you know it's gonna be there for the long haul. And as endurance athletes, we need gears that can take us over many, many miles. And the cool thing is too, is even though the gear does last long, you still got that reassurance of that five-year guarantee, which is just absolutely incredible. I don't know of any other company that's doing that. So you know you have that tried and true product that's gonna last you for the long haul. So you can already tell by now, I'm a huge fan of Janji and I 100% suggest you try them out. And if you're looking to test drive it, you can actually get 15% off your order by using the code EverydayUltra15 at checkout when you go to Janji.com. And that's spelled J-A-N-J-I.com. So that's Janji, J-A-N-J-I.com. And if you're rocking Janji on your next adventure, let me know. I'd love to hear what you're wearing out there. And I really hope you give them a shot because they've been a game changer in my training, especially as it gets super hot here in Phoenix and you need something comfortable, cool, and something that looks good. That's the most important thing, right? So go to johnji.com, that is J-A-N-J-I.com and use code EverydayUltra15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. All right, everyone, thanks so much for listening and let's get into the episode here.
What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super pumped to chat with today's guests. Um, it was really cool because last year at Havelina 100, I had the chance to chat with them for maybe all of about, I would say, like five or 10 minutes out there, um, which was super, super cool. And as we all know, Havelina went, and if you already know who our today's guest is, um, he ran the fastest out of anybody out there on the course that day, um, including myself. So didn't get too much of the chance to chat with him, but the time I did, um, it was just really awesome awesome as he was super nice, super down to earth. And I knew he was before as a super talented runner in the space and excited to bring him on the podcast here today. Um, he's known as one of the best mountain runners in our sport today. He's a professional trail athlete for normal, doing a lot of awesome work there. He's also le uh, leader of the nonprofit Footprint 2 as well, which we're going to talk about an exciting initiative that he has coming up about that, which he just shared with me that I am just so curious to hear more about. So we're going to talk about that. Um, but he's also notched up incredible results, you know, over the past year, most recently winning Transvolcania, also winning Havelina 100 and smashing a course record on there as well. And then also his amazing uh, finish at Hard Rock 2 on that same year as well. And he's got countless of endless great results to his name uh, as being, uh, like I said, known as one of the top mountain runners in the sport. So without further ado, love to introduce our guests and welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Podcast, Dakota Jones. Dakota, thanks so much for coming on, man. And congrats again for your win at Transvolcania. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, it's really great to see you again. Really appreciate you having me on here. It's it's really it's an honor, man. <laughs> oh man, honors all mine, dude. Like I've been I've been a fan for a while. It's it was so cool to see you come out to Havelina, like and to see it in person for you to come out going to get a golden ticket and then not only winning but smashing the course record, especially even after you know the the epic uh, finish that you had at Hard Rock that year. It was just like such an awesome 2022 for you. Um, and I think you know I'm not the only one that said that. You you know, it was just awesome to see you, you know, have just such an incredible year and cap it off and finally go into States here. Um, I'd love to chat about like your build to States, Transylvania, your training, also the nonprofit too, as well. But maybe for those who are a little unfamiliar with your background or, you know, how you kind of got into the sport, um, would love to hear, you know, what got you so hooked onto mountain running and, you know, what got you to where you are today? Yeah, um, totally. So I, I'm, uh, what I'm 32 now. Um, but I started running ultras when I was like 17. So I'm like on my 15th year, pretty much. That's pretty crazy. Um, and the reason I was able to do that is because I was, I'm from Durango, Colorado, Southwest Colorado. And, um, the, one of the teachers at my high school was Dale Garland, who's the race director for hard rock. And it, when I was in high school, he invited me to come up and volunteer one year. So I went up and I did that. And uh, I was already into mountain sports, getting into it more into climbing at the time. But I was like, and but I ran cross country. And then I saw like the I volunteered all night and I saw Hard Rock and I was like, well, this is this is exactly what I want to do. <laughs> and I got super into it, super excited. And I like spent the rest of that summer just co totally getting in over my head in the San Juans down there in the mountains. Um and just gaining experience and practice. And then, um, yeah, I ran my first ultra at the end of that year and then, um, basically just like got hooked and I really liked it. So I found I'm really competitive. I kept pushing and trying to do well. And I, um, eventually like I was able to build a career and like make, get sponsored. And, um, you know, I've, I ran, I raced in Europe for the first time, like in 2011 and, uh, I don't know, like I've just been able, basically been able to do this and travel around the world for a really long time now. And it's, it's like still this crazy experience I get to have, but 
um, you know, ever since then, since then, it's like my life has changed over the last few years. I've been, I like went back to school and I've started this nonprofit. So um, a little bit less glamorous travel, but I did just get back from Spain, so I can't complain, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel lucky, man. I've been doing this since I was a teenager. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. And it's so cool to see that like the Stoke like came from hard rock and you carried that like Stoke throughout your career and have been doing this for like a long time and still young at 32, which is like super cool. Like to just see like, you know, you got in it at an early age and seeing that compounded success play out to, you know, where you are today as an athlete, which is super cool. One thing like during along your journey, I don't know if this is maybe pulling in from like the niche archives or something, but I actually just recently read a book called um, uh, Training for the Uphill Athlete. And there's a section in there about you. And, um, you talk about, you know, there's one part where, you know, you kind of got, um, you know, a little away from like the love of the mountains, but then you went back to that and kind of like dove into that, into your training, like the, the love for adventure and the Stoke. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And I guess how it kind of carries out even today. Cause I know that book was written a little while ago, but, but tell me a little bit about that. Cause I thought that was so interesting. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it comes back to hard rock. Like when I was there, I was like, not only do I want to do this like competition thing of running long distances, but it's like, I want to be a part of this event, like this community, these people, like what these people are here for and why we're in this place specifically. That's always what has like been my I don't know, North star, you know, for, for trail running. And it's like, I, I know that I'm competitive and I love, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Attention, right? Look, I'm on a podcast right now, but it's like, I, I think that for me, it's really important to like, never forget that like what I love about the sport is being in wild places and just exploring. I want to be at the base of a mountain and be like genuinely excited about the potential. Like I can get to that mountain and that ridge and like make this traverse and just like feel this like wonder of exploration, this like potential of what I can do. And it's simple and it's authentic and it's not something that you like get paid for. It's just like the beauty of the fundamental thing we're here for. Um, and I understand a lot of people come to ultras from different directions, different places, and they maybe don't feel the same way. But I do think that that is kind of a current within the culture of the sport. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's always been really important to remember like why I do what I do. And it's because I love being in these wild places. And like, especially when you're out in these wild places, doing these hard things with other people, you develop really strong bonds with those people. You know, that's anybody who's running ultra. It's like uh, probably shared some pretty intense miles with people and like, brings you together so the way that like hard rock has like kind of structured its race and the culture around it i've I've always been inspired by that um but yeah it's like then i also like went into this career thing and i like wanted to be successful and it was you know i've it wasn't really about money which is good because i never made any or well not much um but like i just um I don't know. It was like, I wanted to be as good as I could possibly be. I wanted to win races. I want to be the best. It's, um, you know, why not go for it? Right. And so especially like I got sponsored by Solomon starting in 2015. Um, and like, I kind of started working with a coach and I was like, like, this is a big deal. I have a three-year contract. Like it's a global athlete. Like this is a huge opportunity for me and I'm not going to screw it up. And so I like basically overtrained. This is a super common story. I just like, didn't have another job you go out and you work really hard for like three hours a day sometimes you do long runs that are farther and then it's like 11 a.m and you're like okay now what um and so for one i don't think it was like intellectually or kind of personally fulfilling enough like trying to be just the athlete but i also pushed too hard and i trained too much and i like 
would go out and like, like I, I didn't go exploring in the mountains that much. I would like go do intervals on this road with the right grade, you know, and I would focus in too much on that. And I also am like notoriously bad at like communication and, um, I don't know. Like I didn't communicate with my coach, I think as well as I could have. So ultimately, yes, that's a really long way of explaining that I basically got hurt and I kind of lost my love for the sport because I was trying to like make my position worth it. You know, I wanted to make it worth it for Solomon. I wanted to like make it worth it for me. I wanted to be the best. And I thought that this is what I had to do. I had to make these sacrifices. And ultimately by sacrificing kind of the reason that I love the sport, I stopped being good at it or I got injured and it was kind of the same thing. Um, and so that's not Solomon's fault. You know, that was my own fault for putting this pressure on myself, but yeah, it took me a lot of time to kind of come back to what I love about it. And I think I've been successful over the last few years, more than the years before that, because I've refound this like love of the exploration and potential of the mountains. That's awesome. Yeah. And you can see like the success that you've had, like from there and like the six, the success you're having today and your love for the mountains and the community and everything, even like, you know, like when we were chatting, like I was like, Oh, this is an elite athlete. And we're having a conversation. Like, this is super cool. Like you can tell when you're out on the trails, like you're having fun, even though you are competitive and you do love, you know, the ability to be out there. And I love how you balance that dichotomy, which is super cool. Something you mentioned in there too, which I think is just so awesome about you is that Sure, you're a professional athlete, but you also value the other experiences in life, right? You recently went back to school, you're starting and you lead a nonprofit, I should say, and you kind of have this like good balance in your life. And I'm curious to hear like if that kind of played more into, you know, kind of getting out of the competitive thing or tell me your relationship with those kind of things. The reason why I ask this is because a lot of people listening to this are similar kind of like in my boat, not a professional athlete, you know, have a job like run. And I think there is this romanticism about like being a pro athlete and like doing nothing but running. But it seems like to you, you're like, Hey, like I value other things and you get enjoyment out of that. So I'd love to hear kind of like your, you know, reasoning uh, for, for going into those different areas and how it kind of fills your cup as a, as a, not just an athlete, but a person. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, there's kind of a lot in there. Let me do my best, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, um, for me, I don't know if I ever really considered myself truly a professional athlete. I feel like maybe I was like too insecure or something, or like I barely like I did. I made enough money to support myself, but like barely. You know, it's not like I don't think I've ever in my life made more than like forty or fifty thousand dollars in a year, like between multiple sponsorships and odd jobs and stuff. Um, so that that I don't know. I just like you see real professional athletes. That's how I always think of it. I'm like, yeah, if you're a professional cyclist, you have to like race and ride six hours a day, you know, or if you're like in the NBA or the NFL, it's like, those people are professionals. Dakota just goes and runs on trails. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't run a two ten marathon. I run like a three and a half hour marathon. Of course it's a different trail. It's a different sort of thing, but still, I just never felt like I was like a real marathoner. And so I don't know if I gave myself like the validation to like accept this position I think that's probably true, but also, um, I don't know, like see, I, I got pretty disillusioned with myself and this position that I was in at some point around like 2014, um, because I was working really hard a lot of the time to make myself a tiny bit better. And then I ended up at UTMB and I dropped out that year and I was like, yeah, I could walk it in, but I just don't care. Like, what am I even here for? What's the point of this? And that made me feel super guilty because I had a free trip to France to run UTMB 
And I was like, I'm just dropping out because I feel terrible and I like could finish and a lot of other people would. And so that made me think like, I got to recalculate my, my system here, my fat, my values, like, what is the point of all this? And I just think that, you know, for me, I wanted more than just to win races. And it was confusing because I had told myself that like my goal was to win races for so long. And that was my goal. And so like, when you suddenly realize that what you've been trying to do for a long time is not actually what you want, that's Mm -hmm. kind of an existential crisis in a a way. Um, And so that kind of really pushed me down this path of like, how can I continue to be in the sports and do this thing while also like making it about something else? I don't know, like like expanding my impact and like, basically like, I, I, I feel like I'm young. I'm like wealthy enough, you know, I'm strong. Like I shouldn't be working just for me. I should be working for other people. I can help other people. I have the time and the energy. Right. Um, and that took a long time to figure out, still figuring it out. (laughs) But for me, the environment is my, has always been my like main crusade and that's my thing. And like climate change has always been a major concern and I always feel so helpless and overwhelmed by it. Um, and through a series of like just long years of thinking about it and trying to figure out what to do and like trying to take personal actions, it led me to, um, for one, go back to school because I was like, I'm working with Protect Our Winter as a nonprofit and I'm like being an advocate, but I want to be more educated on these subjects. So I went back to school and then simultaneously I started footprints, which is a running camp that we do. Um, well, it's, we're a nonprofit now we do multiple running camps. And the idea is that every camper has a climate related project. Mm. So we like go for runs and we work on these climate projects that people implement in their own communities. And so, um, I think through all of this, it's given me like a way to feel like I can use the trail running community. Cause I still love the sport and I still love competing, but like, this is a way for me to like do the, like, I can still compete, but I can also feel like I'm not just competing. I'm not, you know, like, I don't know, maybe it's like a defense mechanism, you know, like my whole sense of worth is not based on a race. Right. (laughs) You know, if I go blow up at Western States next month, it's like, okay, bummer. (laughs) I got footprints coming up in September. I'm going to work on that or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Does that answer your question at all? <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. I like it. Cause it's, it's, it's a great answer because I think it can be so easy. And I know I've experienced this too. It's like, you put so much of like your mental chips and identity on like one thing, but like yeah. when that one thing doesn't work out, I mean, like everything becomes a mess. Right. I've been there before, like where I'm like, Oh, I'm a runner. And then I have a bad race. And then it's like, Oh man, I suck. But it's, if you have like all these other different areas, like in your case, nonprofit schoolwork, um, all the other work you're doing outside, it's like, Oh, I still got this and I'm killing it in this. It's like, you know, Dakota's still doing great. Joe's still doing great. Like you have these, you're almost kind of like diversifying your identity a little bit to not be so like pigeonholed when one thing goes wrong, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to make like a hundred thousand dollars a year and then go have a bad day at UTMB or something Mm -hmm. or two, I don't know, like maybe millions and then blow up in the NBA finals or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like the kind of pressure of that, that sounds overwhelming to me. Um, But I also have the the luxury of not, I mean, I just have a safety net. If I run out of money, I'm going to be okay. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so I'll figure something out. 
That's awesome. No, I love that approach. It seems like you've, you know, had to really like kind of like work on like dealing with these things. And as athletes, right? Like, I mean, the pressure, I totally get it. Like a lot of athletes that I talk with do face this inevitably when it comes to, you know, working with sponsors or obligations or anything like that. So it's super cool to see you've developed like a mature relationship with it over the years. I'm curious because like I I love the dichotomy between the competitive side and the fun side. Like, how do you how do you balance that dichotomy in a way where like you don't kind of let like one get in front of the other, right? Because like I think it can be I, I've been on the like competitive side, like where it's like you you're so competitive to your point, you don't enjoy it at all. But like sometimes in order to win, you need that competitive juice to just kick up. And sometimes you can't be always lollygagging out there. Like there's gotta be a point where you gotta like, you know, really hit it hard. How do you balance that dichotomy, whether it's in training, racing? Like, I'd love to hear how you kind of juggle those two things. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of like having fun in the mountains, you mean versus yeah. like racing? Yeah. Um, I think basically when I race, I race hard. So, I mean, it's fun to race, but it's like, I, I don't race a lot. I try not to race too much because when I race, I race really hard. And so it takes like more mental energy from me than physical i think it's like harder for me to recover mentally mm. um so like this quick turnaround i have like seven weeks from transvolcani to western state that's like concerning to me that i i don't i hope that i can like be mentally ready to push um but then i i think that i like am able to maintain the fun part of it just in my training generally um so i just like really i have like a super flexible training schedule that i basically make up as i go and like each week and um, i have this idea of like what i'd like to do i build this outline but then things happen like sometimes i'm just unmotivated or i don't want to do something and i like think about it like am i just being lazy or mm. is there a reason for this sometimes when i really don't want to do a run i'm too tired and i'm not like maybe acknowledging that and then i go out and start running and i feel terrible and i'll just be like no this is wrong don't overdo it. It's better to be undertrained than overtrained. Um, but other times it's like what I think the weekend before Transvolcania, so a few weeks ago, I I had like I was taking finals and I was all busy. I had all the stuff going on. And so I like missed like I had a short in one training and I'd like miss a day of training and I wasn't super psyched. So I was like, okay, Saturday, I'm going to go out and do something like short, but intense. I'll go like fast. And that way I can like kind of do something cardiovascular. And then I woke up and I had no interest in doing that. I was like, mm -hmm. I've been doing this on the road all winter. And so I just went, I climbed a peak and I was out for like four hours, but it was like low intensity. And I was like in the snow and then I climbed this rock stuff. And it took me like 30 minutes to descend this one rock section. Um, and like, it wasn't technically like the training that I should have done maybe, but I had fun and it made me feel good to be out in the mountains. And I don't know, I won the race, so it didn't seem to hurt me. <laughs> That's know? so but cool that you have just, that. Yeah, yeah. The, the point is just trying to like, listen to my body and my, my mind, you know, like, yeah, you got to like adhere to like the plan to a certain degree. But if the plan's not working for you, you have to be able to pivot as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I love like it's, it just takes so much self-awareness to do that, right? To to because I think when we get a plan to your point, right? Like it can be easy to look at the plan and be like, I need to be married to this. I need to do this workout today, like no matter what. But to your point, to be self-aware enough to look at that and be 
to say to yourself sometimes, Hey, like it might, I might be a little tired or, Hey, this doesn't bring me enjoyment. Like I'm going to go bag a peak instead. And it's super cool to see, like, even in the week before Transvolcania, you go into that race and you end up winning and having an awesome race too, which is super cool. I'd love to kind of dive into that race too, specifically. Cause you know, we're fresh off about like a week or so I want to say, yeah, like a week or so like removed from it. And, you know, you came out with the win at this race and th this was the, was this the first ultra you had ever done too? Is that correct? Or is it one of the first races? you won in the past or something like that it, it, i had done a bunch of ultras but it was like the race that i wanted well, i wanted in 2012 as well yeah and so when i did that that was like what made me like successful i say like because before that i'd basically been racing in the in the states and then i went over there and i basically beat a bunch of europeans and it was like all of a sudden my potential skyrocketed <laughs> Yeah. So this was, yeah, that, that's what I was like kind of getting at. Cause I remember you mentioning as I was listening, like this was the one that kind of changed the game for you more or less. Like, so how was, was that like any indication or I should say anything that led you to wanting to do this race to go back to maybe that moment where it was just such a pivotal moment in your career? Like what did it kind of mean to you going into Transvolcania knowing that you've had just such a potent history with it? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's a nice story now since I went back and won it. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> but it was, I felt like it was equally likely that I'd have a, a tough day and finish like 10th or whatever. Um, because I did do that. I went in 2012 and I won. And then I went back in 2014 and I got 10th. And then in 2015, I got like fourth or fifth, I think fourth. Um, and so, you know, I, I had tried to keep going back and like repeat my success and I, I didn't have that. Um, and that's fine. I don't really mind. I think that. I just, it's a beautiful place. It's such a unique environment. This is in the Canary Islands. It's such a crazy volcanic, it's a volcano, you know, and the, the communities are really cool and uh, people just are so nice there. And I think because I won it and I was like this random American and I was young, people like me. And so like people know me there and it's fun. Cause I like, I feel like I'm a celebrity on this tiny Island in the Atlantic. Um, and it's, I don't know. I just like, I like the place. I like the people and the course itself is super aesthetically pleasing. You start on the south end of the island, you run the spine of the volcano all the way to the high point, and then you descend all the way to the coast and then back up to the finishing town. And so it's really pleasing in that way. It's just an interesting place to run. And then um, they've also really struggled a lot over the last few years, like especially like COVID hit the Canary Islands pretty hard. Um, and then the volcano erupted. Like you probably heard about this, like... <laughs> They were about to like restart the the race in October 21, I think. And the volcano erupted for like three months and like buried a town. And it was a total nightmare for them. Um, so it was like, I wanted to go back and like support them too. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, yeah, that's crazy. Cause I know they had a rough COVID too. And then the volcano too, I'd completely forgotten until you had brought that up. It's yeah. just been crazy to see the things that have happened. So it's cool to see that like, you come out there and support them too, especially since you're well known over there too, and have like a good history with the race. So that's awesome to see that, you know, you, you come back and there's a lot of like meaning just beyond that win in that race, right? It's the experience yeah. of Stoke and you can kind of hear that in your voice for sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to just go back to a race that I on just cause I want it. Right. It's like, I go back to this community. I go back to this environment and, um, I don't know. I go back. I try to find reasons other than just like making some legacy or something. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. It's like such like a good attitude to have with these kind of things. Cause I know like I've, you know, thought about going back to the race. Cause you almost like, 
at least for me and my experience, I'm sure some others can relate. It's like you go back and you try and recreate the feeling from the first one, but right. I don't think we ever can, right? Like we ever, we never can really recreate yeah. the first like big win or like the first like ultra, right? And so like chasing those things might not be the right thing. And instead it's chasing the stoke of why you're there in the first place, the scenery, the people, the community, like you're saying, I think that's a much more healthy way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like a lot of these pivotal experiences we have, we maybe don't entirely understand them in the moment. And so like a lot of our understanding of them comes retroactively. And so I I don't know, it's like when you meet the person you love, you know, you have your first kiss, like that's really powerful. But like, I feel like then maybe you smell something like a year later that was like this flower was nearby or I don't know. And it brings you back to that moment in a way that you hadn't consciously acknowledged. And so like trying to recreate something that is really powerful in your life. Um, I think ultimately it's going to fall short if you're trying to have the same experience, but like going back and like trying to have a new experience with that as a foundation is cool. And so like the Transvulcania very much, like I was running up these, these, these trails and especially early on, I remember thinking like, Oh yeah, this is the point where like we were in a group. And then I, I was running with Tim Frericks this year. And like, we got to this big switchback and I was like, this is where I pulled ahead of everybody. And I was like, freaked out about it. And it was kind of fun, like reliving these moments. Um, but also having all this uncertainty, like, is it going to happen again? I don't know. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like having this new experience on top of like the power of the old one and trying to value both in different ways, I guess. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, because like we hear all the time, like people like practicing the course, it's like the edge is like, you know, the different things, but also the downfall could be, you know, what's ahead, right? Because yeah, like, totally. if you know that there's like a giant climb ahead that for one person could be like, oh, sick, like, I crushed this last year. Oh, sick, this thing crushed me last year. Like, oh my gosh. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that kind of like balance to go through in the head because it can be like a great thing or it can be a bad thing, I think, depending on you know, how you're viewing that experience. So it's cool to see you kind of taking that in this year's Transvolcania for sure. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. You got Yeah. I think you kind of got to let the experience come to you because like the, when I went back in 2014, I had a bad day and I was running not good. And there's a section in the middle where it's kind of a dirt road. And I was like the returning champion from, I guess, two years previous. And there were, there was like this film crew in a truck, like driving in front of me like filming me and i was in like 10th place having a bad day and i was like fuck off off. you know get out of here and i was like get the fuck out of here you know and i was like kind of a dick to these guys um because i had like high hopes of coming back and winning again having a big big you know returning champion vibe um and i felt really bad about that afterwards like that was not who I wanted to be. Yeah. You know, it's like, I need to be able to manage this thing, these things better. Like those people were just doing their jobs. You know, I put myself in this position, bad days happen. So I remember I, I like got, I like knew where that guy was staying, the, the cameraman. I like got him a bar of chocolate and I was like, Hey man, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it was an interesting experience, a learning experience for me. I was like, you know, I have to be a bigger man than that. Right. Well, I don't have to be, but I should, I should be. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, man. I want to say like one thing that has been kind of a common theme of like our conversation so far is your level of self-awareness. I think that speaks volumes, man, to like just how successful you've been in the sport and how much you enjoy it. Like to see you going through and being self-aware of like the different points and like how maybe you act in a certain situation or like what your takeaways are. Like, did that, is that something that's always kind of been a part of you? Like just to kind of deviate from Transvulcania for a second, because I think it's 
so important. I think self-awareness is like a great quality that not just athletes can have, but people, but is that something that maybe you've always had like all along your life or journey, or is that something that's kind of developed? Like curious to hear like where this level of self-awareness has come from. It's a really nice thing to say. Um, yeah. Self-awareness. Uh, I think that I've always tried to be self-aware. Like I want to, um, I don't know. I want to understand my journey through life. I want to make sense of like what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I'm doing it and like how I could do it better. And that leads to questions of like, what is better? What is the right thing to do? Or what is the right way to do this thing that I'm doing, you know? And so it, it, if you can like consider yourself this way, it, it quickly, it's, you quickly end up on this like floating sort of, I don't know, you feel like you're floating around and just like grabbing onto a bunch of like logs that you can float on top of. And you're like, yes, this is my, this is my foundation of who I am. Yes. You know, but it always feels like anything could float away and it feels pretty arbitrary. And you always know that like the way you see your own life or the world around you is through your own personal lens. And there's like biases built into that, but even within those limitations, I think that we can understand, like work hard to understand who we are and what we do. And um, I think that a big reference point for me in that regard is like other people and how they do things and what they do. And I can learn a lot from other people and like, um, you know, learn a lot about myself from the way I interact with other people. And um, I think that, you know, when you're trying to find a reference point for what is good, it's like, I want to make other people happy. I want the interactions I have to lift up other people. And so, you know, in that situation, when I did something that probably didn't make that guy, that filmmaker feel super good, <laughs> I was like, that's, that's not who I want to be, you know? And so if my racing career is going to cause me to be on a person then I've clearly chosen something wrong, I've made some wrong decisions and, mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You know, I can just be a bigger man next time. And so, I don't know, it's, it's a constant, <laughs> constantly worth considering. No, that's it, it's such a good point, though. I, I appreciate you sharing that a ton because I think it's something that really can benefit a lot of people and seems like I've benefited you greatly. Like, again, not just as a runner, but as a person to like level up because like, you know, some people it can be easy to just, you know, for example, like do what you did to the camera person and kind of justify it and be like, well, you know, I was having a bad day and he was putting the camera in my face and like, whatever, fuck it. But like to you to go back and say, hey, whoa, whoa like I'm owning up to this, like I'm doing this, like that takes like a lot of growth and maturity and all those kind of things. And so, and to be able to even go back to him at the end and apologize and just be like, Hey man, like not doing this. And then years later still have that lesson to you. Um, it takes a lot to do that. And I think it's a, it's a remarkable thing. And especially I'm sure you can speak to this probably helps a lot as a runner because I'm assuming and, and, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear, like when you look at a race, whether it goes well or it goes bad, like, do you sit down and kind of have a reflective process on it? Like, are you a kind of guy who likes to, you know, kind of recap things in your mind? What went well, what didn't like, how does that translate into you as an athlete trying to continuously get better in the races you perform? Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to make a point to, to recap these things and like understand them. I, th I think it's almost less about like, how can I perform better next time? And more like, just like, you know, running an ultra hard is a pretty intense experience. Right. And so I, I want to like understand these experiences and like try to make sense of them just as a human being. And so, you know, something that I do it, that like, for example, after Transmacania, I had to take like a flight back to another part of Spain and it was like a three hour flight. And I like, put on some music on my headphones and I just like, I just like mentally recapped. I like reran the whole race 
And mm-hmm. it, it's funny, it took like a long time, but I, I often do that. I'll just like lit, sit there, take some time, maybe have some music and just like kind of go over each individual kind of section of the race, just kind of relive it. And uh, just to try to like remember what it was like and kind of get more out of it and not just move on to the next thing right off of, right off the bat. Um, but yeah, you can learn a lot, lot from that. I definitely think about strategy, you know, it's like, I don't know, you think of things that you could do better and yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I will run a race and I'll have a good day. Maybe like Transville Kanye. Yeah. I had a great day. Right. I won the race. Um, but I'm also like in my brain, there's things that I know I could do better, mm. but if I come on the podcast and I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that great. You know, man, I screwed up this and this and this, everybody's like, dude, shut up. You won the race. You know, <laughs> like it's like, I, I kind of got to back off being a little public about that, but I, I do think that that's the mark of like someone who's trying to be their best. Right. It's like, no matter how well you do, it's like, you assume you can do better and you figure out how. So I always think about that. Um, but yeah, that race went pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to say, I think it's awesome that you're reflecting back on the wins, right? Because I think the cliche yeah. thing in sports or life is like when you fail, like you learn from your failures, right? Yeah. And anytime like we hear about like the recap or the lesson pulling, it's usually from the failures. But in the end of the day, I think pulling from the wins is a great practice. And right, some like to your point, like it could be easy to look at it and be like, oh, like what the heck you won? That's But I think when you look at anyone who is not just great at something, but is just fulfilled by the process of like being a learner, um, they're also, you know, learning from the wins and learning from like the good days, right? Because I think it can be so easy. I know I've I've experienced and I'm speaking from personal experience, like it can be easy for me to just like have like a great race and just be like, that was awesome. Like, let's go to the next one. But maybe there's like a few errors in there that if left unchecked in the next race could be detrimental. And so to have this reflective process on the wins, I think is super cool. Yeah. I mean, I also have fucking blown up at a lot of races and I (laughs) I reflect on those too. And I do learn a lot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And it's also like running, like winning Transvolcania is an experience that like not a lot of people get to have or race like Transvolcania. You know, there's a lot of people in the finishing shoot, like you run down and there's like a motor, the police motorcycle in front of you and like people cheering and going crazy. Like this is not something that a lot of people get to experience. And it's not something that I want to take for granted. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely definitely a celebration at the end, which is super cool. And I'm curious, like, as we're talking about you reflecting on your race, what were some big takeaways from you or maybe some key moments during the race that were just either super special for you or one that kind of like stood out as like, you know, you're sitting on the plane and recapping it. Like maybe one thing that you keep coming back to or keep thinking to in the race, like something that was just like a really powerful experience for you that, that meant something, whatever that may be. Like, I'm curious to hear. Yeah. I mean, it felt, a, it felt really good to like, I think I had the confidence to run a good race there. And I, I felt like I hit a good balance between um, being like aggressive, but also not blowing up, like doing too much too soon, basically. Um, and so like, I, I would started a little slower, but then like over the first, like five or six miles moved up until I was in the front with like three other guys. Um, and then I was just like, I was staying with them and I realized I was like not pushing as hard as I possibly could, but I was definitely working hard. Um, but then I, I kind of just stayed at that intensity and pulled ahead of these guys over the first climb but then I let them catch me. I mean, I didn't think like, oh, I'll let them catch me. But I just like, I didn't push it. 
after mm-hmm. we're, there's like first descents and I like, I didn't push it. And they, they did catch me. I was like really close to the people at the first major aid station, like 20 K. Um, and then, yeah, there's a long kind of flat section. And like, I, I was like, I was just like trying to run within myself there um, and not push it because it's easy, especially when you're off the front. to like, want to be like, okay, don't screw it up, go hard. Um, but there's a huge climb after it's called El Reventon. Um, it's like 30 K in. it's a monster climb. And so I waited basically until then. And at that point it was, it was actually pretty cool because I feel like the other guys I was with who got second and third had kind of like shown me their hands in a way, like mm. Andreas Reiterer was running downhill super well, but I was pulling ahead of him on the uphill. And then Damian Humbert was um, kind of the opposite. Like, I, I don't know if he was pushing the downhills very much, but like he was staying with me on the climbs. And so um, I was like, well, I need to get way the hell ahead of Andreas before the top of this climb so that he can't catch me on the descent. And then hopefully like if Damian stays with me up to the top, hopefully I can beat him on the downhill. And uh, that's basically what happened. I was able to stay ahead of, <laughs> ahead of Andreas enough. And um, but it's basically at that point, I pushed the climb and uh, I don't know. It's just like, it's such an interesting experience. Like everybody works hard. We all train really hard. We all go out and race really hard. And I, I just feel like, like I'm putting all of myself into this. I totally go everything into a race but it just feels like almost unfair it's like i just go out there and i push hard and like why when i push hard why do i get to be the one that pulls ahead you know Mm. it's weird it's just like this is it genetics probably partly but probably other things i don't know but like it just feels strange that i go out there and i push hard and i was working hard but i was like watching myself distance these guys and it's just like this sort of strange experience but it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it, it felt good. Um, but yeah, sometimes I think I'm like, what, what is the merit here? You know, do I really deserve this more than somebody else? I don't know. And so that, I think that leads me into the two questions of like, how can I use this fortune that I have for like bringing other people with me in a way, but that's another thing, I guess. <laughs> no, that's super cool. And it kind of reminds me of that like pre-race post that you did where you talk about like standing yeah. on like the, you know, the stage and like seeing people cheer for you. And you're kind of having like the similar thoughts like on that. Like, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I thought that, that was like such a powerful post like the night before I was reading that. I was like, damn, I've never heard like a professional athlete, like say something like this, which was so cool. Cause it almost, cause I like, like for, you know, average Joe's like me, literal Joe, um, you know, it can, it can be easy to look at professional athletes as like being up there. But in that moment reading that, I was like, Oh man, this is super cool. He's like one of us. Like, I thought that was like, so cool. So tell us like, I guess a little bit more about that. Cause I thought that was so cool to read. But thanks. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's just funny. I've been thinking a lot about it. I don't know if I have like much of a like a a thesis on this or something. (laughs) I just, yeah, like I work really hard and I've been doing this a long time. I've gained a lot of skills, you know, I'm good at what I do. Um, But there is some element of what we do as endurance athletes that allows me to like be faster than other people. And I don't really understand what that is. Again, genetics is probably part of it. Um, I I don't really know. I'm also never going to run a 205 marathon. Right. So like, I'm also in that position where I could go run with Elliot Kipchoge and get dropped with no problem. Um, But within our sport, you know, I do succeed so far. And it just, it's like, I I don't want to like undersell myself or be like, 
mentally unwell, you know, it's like, I need to have the confidence to take this position. I can do this and I do win races and I work hard and it's cool. But at the same time, you know, I'm like walking around La Palma and people want photos with me. And it's like some of these people, you know, they're like going to be doctors or nurses or teachers or like, they're going to be professionals, they're engineers, they're going to do all kinds of things that I can't do that make them worthwhile. But, you know, because I ran faster than them or their friends, whatever, they're going to want photos with me. And that's like, I think that says a lot about what we value in our society. And that's worth questioning in a lot of ways, you know, like, I mean, I think that what I do is worthwhile, but I think that I get a lot of attention for what I do because I win races, you know? If I wasn't winning races, people would care a whole lot less about my nonprofit. <laughs> it's true. And so like, I think that my nonprofit is actually the thing that I'm more proud of, but mm. like this position that I have as an athlete, like it allows me to shed light on the things that I think are more valuable. And so, I don't know, it's, it's kind of circular at this point. <laughs> no, it's so cool, man. It's like really, I think it shows a lot of empathy, right? To, to, cause yeah. I've, you kind of can get the taste of victory sometimes. And in my position where I've like tasted that you almost, I think it can be so easy to slide into this, you know, thing of like, Oh, I deserve the attention or I deserve this kind of thing. I I've been there like many times before, but it's so cool to see. And from your perspective that you think about other people and saying, Hey, like this person's a doctor, this person's working hard. Like we're all working hard out here. Like it's not just me out here winning races. Like we should value like what other people are doing. I think that is just super cool to see that empathetic mindset of you knowing that collectively like we're all working hard which i think that post says that was why that was one of my favorite pre-race posts ever and i think like i i'm not the only one that says it just makes you super relatable to you know all of us out here too um which is i think just makes it um a lot cooler to be a part of this sport um to see that right like because like lebron james like you know i not to dish on the guy for like no reason but like i don't know i can't can't relate to him at all, you know? So, um, but it's, it's super cool to see that perspective out there and and you being open and willing to share that, man. So I appreciate that a ton. Oh, well, thanks. Really appreciate that. Yeah. I think that there's like a lot of potential in our sport for, for like these cool conversations. And I think our sport like inherently because of the experiences we have outside sets us up for these opportunities to like get to know people and like share these different values as an, as a community. And so yeah, I think about as my position, whatever platform I have as an athlete, um, I want to use that to continue to promote these values because I don't think a, an inclusive culture happens by accident. Um, I think it happens through work. And so whatever I can do to help that, I'd like to. So good, man. And this is a good segue into your nonprofit, right? So like, I mean, that's one way you're giving back, one way you're using your platform for good and doing amazing things. And uh, I'd love like this kind of ties into the fundraiser they have going on. So a little bit of like Western States action here too. So um, first of all, I guess like before we talk about the fundraiser, just real quick for maybe those listening who aren't familiar, you know, with Footprint and what you're doing, uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit more about like the running camps and everything, but um, tell us a little bit more about Footprint and, uh, you know, what y'all do and, and the impact that you have. Yeah. So Footprints is basically, it's a nonprofit now, but uh, in the, it started mainly what we do is running camps. And the idea basically came out of, um, so in 2018, I rode my bike from uh, Durango to Colorado Springs. I ran the Pikes Peak Marathon and I rode back. We did it as a fundraiser for Protect Our Winters. It went really well. It was super cool. And then after the camp or after the event, I was like, 
you know, I didn't really save a whole lot of carbon emissions here. Like this is basically an individual action that didn't have a huge impact, except it was a gesture. I have a platform. It had value. I think it was worth doing for sure. It was certainly fun. Um, but I was like, you know, not everybody can do this because people have, you know, jobs and families and you can't just take two weeks off of whatever you live to go like to every race you want to do. Um, and so the, the, the idea was like, how can we like give people the tools to empower them with their version of Pike speak, you know, like they, everybody has a platform with somebody within their community. They have connections and resources and ideas and skills um, that like nobody else has. And so how can we basically build these individual projects for other people? And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how the idea of the running camp came about. And I started talking with a bunch of people about how to do this well. And that led us into this idea of having a running camp and we have, every camper has a project that they've told us about. So we don't tell them what to do. They're like, they apply to the camp by saying, this is my community. This is how climate change is affecting it. And this is what I want to work on. Sometimes they have like a clear idea of the project. Sometimes it's just a problem they're, they're, work, they're worried about. Um, it's totally fine. We can develop projects around any of this. And during the camp, we go for great runs. We eat great food. We stay up in the mountains all week. It's fantastic. Um, and then we also, we have mentors. So every camper works with mentors who are experts in anything from like climate science to business to nonprofit to economics, law, whatever, like anything related to, to climate action. And a lot of what we do is basically business and marketing because, you know, that we know the solutions to climate change. We know the problems with climate change. Connecting them is like getting people together to work together. Mm. Um, individual actions are not big enough to make a global difference. But by on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we're not all senators or like the CEOs of big corporations. So working in your own community allows you to like get other people involved in these projects while also letting you see that like the work you do has an impact on the people, you know, the places, you know, like it's it's really empowering that way. Um, so, yeah, we have these week long camps. It's a great time. Everybody goes home with the project. And uh yeah, I guess we've done two official camps the last two years. We just had a camp in Australia for the first time. Um, that was fun. We got another one coming up this year in Vermont, probably another one in Australia. And then next year, hopefully two in the U.S. And we're hoping to do one in Europe. So, <laughs> yeah. That's all. Footprint's going global. That is awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and we want to hopefully like develop a bunch of resources online, too. So if you can't come to the camp, you could still get involved on in different ways. So. So cool, man. I love like too how like you had that first experience of doing it and be like, hey, like, you know, sure, individually, maybe the impact isn't as great, but you got everybody involved. Like you said, like individual impact, maybe one person, sure, they can make a small impact. But when you get a community involved, that's like really where you can move and shake some things. And what's super cool is you you mentioned that last thing of getting other people involved, this new fundraising initiative that you uh, told me that I think is just so freaking cool. Um, Tell us a little bit about this. It ties into, you know, kind of going into Western states here and everything like that and just uh, uh, a a few weeks here which is crazy to say but tell us about this uh, awesome initiative and now it makes sense it's a little bit of an uh, homage to the original kind of birth of of uh of footprint so tell us a little bit about that yeah exactly so um you know with footprints we're a nonprofit. we need to raise money and so we're going to do a fundraiser this year um and so two weeks from today i think i'm about june 7th um, I'm going to ride my bike from Salt Lake City to the Western States start. <laughs> um, and it's going to be like 600, 650 miles um, across Nevada. And I'll do it in like probably 10-ish days. Um, 
And yeah, the, the idea is, is basically we want to like tell the story about like me trying to like do my own project, right? Like we all have projects at, at the camp, but it's like, for me, I do have this platform as a runner. People are going to follow along with this journey. And so I can like do this crazy thing, get this attention for it, and then use that to like direct that attention onto things that I think have more impact. So footprints in general is that thing, you know, we're like empowering dozens of people every year, um, hopefully actually hundreds of people every year to like develop their own community climate projects. And so hopefully there's like multiple levels of scale here. It's like support Dakota doing this silly thing, you know, for I'm trying to show that like, yes, I would like sacrifice my race if that's what's required to protect the environment where I race. I don't think you have to make that decision though. And I would like to prove that by having a great race. You never know what will happen. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like your donations to this or, and hopefully we would like to do a peer to peer thing. So like, go do your version of this, you know, like, or like, you know, bike or run to a trailhead or whatever you want to do but um we'll we'll figure out the details and let you know um but we want to like basically like show that this project is valuable but it's also like your support about empowers all these other projects that we're going to be doing through it with the camp like this year and next year um and basically creating resources for anybody to take action on climate change so <laughs> So cool. So yeah. cool, man. I think it's so awesome. And like uh, my follow-up question was going to be like, oh, like, do you have like any concern about like this affecting the Western States? And I think you had the best answer I think possible because number one, like not only you're like, Hey, like, you know, it doesn't matter, like whatever, like this is more important to me. It shows your values of like what you value as a person, which is so freaking cool. And like it, the way that you even say it, it's a confident decision, everything. Like, I think that's so awesome that like, you're really putting your values to the test here and showing and saying, Hey, like this is more important to me. This is something that, you know, I'm willing to do. And I think it's going to be an awesome message. And it's like, dude, now I'm rooting for you, like even hard at Western States. Right. Like this, that would be such a sick, like way to, to win that race. Like that would just be awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think that like having some stakes, you know, that, that like makes it more compelling. It gets people interested. And I think that it makes it more real, right? Like mm -hmm. say it's not a thing a lot of people get to do. It's really hard to get into the race. I had to run a hundred freaking miles really hard in order to get my spot. And uh, I don't take this, this like potential sacrifice lightly, <laughs> but hopefully it's not a sacrifice, right? <laughs> yeah to find out <laughs> so good and then just some like are you are you carrying all your gear on your back as you're going or like on the bike like is that exactly, yeah so, oh, uh, so like, wow yeah so it's totally self-supported um and i i have bike bags um of yeah i'll take a sleeping bag and stuff and uh yeah it's a little tricky like nevada there's not a lot of towns in nevada and so <laughs> like getting water is gonna be hard like for real <laughs> And so I'm going to have to do like a multiple, like hundred mile days, which, um, is not, you know, that's doable on a bike you're riding all day, but in the desert heat by yourself, it's going to be a lot. Um, especially trying to like not blow myself up before Western States, <laughs> uh, but hey, man, that'll be the adventure, right? <laughs> exactly. I love it. Is this kind of like the, like, kind of like the big story that you have for yourself kind of going into states like is this kind of like the 
the thing you want to set or states around or is there like i'm curious to hear i guess like your overall approach in the states i remember like listening to your interview with you know finn and uh single track going into javelina saying like you know states is something you've always wanted to do you feel like you can do well i i think a lot of other people can agree like you can do well on that day for sure um and now you have this like project on top of it and everything like that so i guess like the all cumulative question to put it concisely in a bow here is like you know western states to you what does that mean to you this year and and what's your intention and it could just be again to you know write this amazing story with you know you like giving back to the environment and doing this project but i'm curious to hear in a nutshell to wrap things up like what western states means to you this year yeah i mean western states is like it's the oldest hundred it's so legendary you know it's it's been a part of the sport since the very beginning and I've, I've always wanted to run it and it's crazy that I never have. I feel like, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for like 15 years and I've never run Western States. Um, but it is funny, a little ironic too. Like in, I think in 2012 and 2014, I won golden tickets or like whatever that was called at the time. Um, and I turned them down cause I was doing other races like hard rock and, um, something or something else. Um, and then in 2019, I was like, okay, I want to run Western States. And I tried twice to win a golden ticket and I blew up and I had bad days and I didn't get it, you know? So I like, I, I turned down to, and then I, I like couldn't get to, and I was like, well, that's, I guess I deserve that. <laughs> and so at this point I got my golden ticket. I'm coming to the race. It's like, I've waited for it. And I, I think it will be really fun to just like be a part of that experience and like see what all the hoopla is like from the inside as an athlete. Um, and also like, while I'm still young enough, I think to compete. Um, but yeah, it's also like kind of a microcosm of how I would like my career to be in general. Like I want, this is a big deal race that people pay attention to. And I do have this like platform. And so I want this to be like a, a way for me to not only hopefully race at a high level, but to like, make it about more than me. If I win this race, people are going to be excited about the, the fundraiser that I did to get there. And that will like basically provide us with more funding to do the work that I think really matters for the environment, which in turn will support these communities and this sport and these people for, for longer term. Right. And so it's, it's a way for me to try to like make, take advantage of this position, which I won't have for much longer, you know, like 10 years from now, I'm probably not going to be competing to, to win Western States. Um, and so like I have this opportunity right now and I think Western States is kind of a perfect example of that. And so, so cool. we'll see. I, like I, I just said win there. Like, yeah, I'll be honest. I would like to, wouldn't you? Uh, but uh, I don't know what the, what the odds are. Who knows, man? Like, I'm just going to go into it and do my best. <laughs> Dude, that is awesome, man. And I, I know that you have what it takes to win out there for sure. Like no doubt. Like I, and I think just having, again, like you having this value um, based decision to go in and do this project on top of like States, I think it just makes this like an awesome story to unfold. So I'm rooting for you, man. I think that it would just be like the most amazing running story of the year for sure. I mean, even, even if like, no matter how the race goes, I think just you even going out and doing this thing even before Western States, no matter how the race goes, I think is a special in, in its right because, you know, you're taking this um, selfless contribution to give back to the earth, to really, you know, put something beyond yourself and just, you know, getting a win at Western States is so much more than that. And like you going and doing this is backing it up way beyond, you know, even just saying it. So man, kudos to you. And it's, uh, I'm rooting for you so hard for this race. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, hopefully it's it's pretty fun to watch. I think it will be. 
Absolutely, man. Well, I'm excited to watch in on you and uh, I'm sure our listeners are as well. And so um, before I ask my last question here, everybody who's listening, please follow Dakota. And if you want to contribute to the amazing cause he's doing with Footprints, I'm putting a link in the bio to Footprints website. Um, Please donate and contribute. I know I will be for sure. And um, yeah, if you want to get in on this awesome challenge too, like once uh, Dakota releases the details, I'll be posting it uh, on my story too. So follow along from there. It'll be super cool. I got to think of the challenge that I'm doing, like maybe, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll bike to like my next long run two hours, Northern Arizona or something. I don't know who, who knows, but now I got to think of my challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to come up with, we, we've been working on an idea. Like one of the scientists that we work with at footprints, he's, he's got this idea of like a one degree. So it's like one degree of latitude is about 69, 70 miles. And it, it like this idea of like a degree of latitude can correlate to the way that species move as climate is changing. Species are moving North or vertical or mm. like, up higher and also you know one degree celsius is basically what we've experienced in an in increase in temperature globally since the industrial revolution and so um, we might try to like couch this this like dakota is going to ride something like nine degrees of latitude um not north or south it'll be east west but you know the equivalent of that right and so it's like we might be like hey you know like how many degrees of, of latitude can you run or ride or whatever in this during our fundraiser and it'll be a fun way to get people involved with this Hell yeah, dude. That is so awesome, yeah. man. Well, I'm I'm excited to to smash some degrees like with you yeah. out there in this challenge, man. It's going to be super fun. I'm stoked for it, man. And I'm excited to hear all the details and just want to say thank you, man, on behalf of just everything you're doing for the community, for the world, for, you know, other people, man. I think, uh, man, I know I'm, I'm super inspired and like, I feel like, you know, having someone like you in the community is such a positive for the sport. So, um, and not just as a runner, but as a person, like that's like where all the things you've been sharing with self awareness and relatability and building community and giving back like this has just been a slam dunk episode man and i'm sure you've got a lot more fans headed into western states after uh this nice. pod here my friend and for my last question that i ask every single guest on this podcast so show is called everyday ultra the ethos of the show is helping our listeners become better endurance athletes every day so my question to you dakota is what can our listeners do every single day to be better endurance athletes yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the trick is doing something every single day or pretty mm -hmm. much every single, pretty much every single day. Like the the trick to being successful is being consistent. You know, we can all go out and have our hero days, but if you can't follow that up with like much after that for a few weeks, then it doesn't, it doesn't make much of a difference. You know, like it's way more important to run consistently than to like run huge and then take a huge break and then run huge. Um, I think that you're going to find that you're more successful with not, not just running with anything. If you just continue to chip away at it every single day, or I mean, also take rest days, right? Do that. But it's like being consistent over time is, is the critical aspect. So whatever that means for you, you know, whatever you're working on, like, don't try to like get it all done all at once or put it off and then finish it. Or I don't know. I think it's, it's much better to just be consistent. That's my model with like everything. <laughs> That's so awesome, man. I love it. I love it. It's like doing the things you do every day is doing something every day. And I, I remember too, it, it, it's funny you say that because I remember listening to your pre-racing at Javelina and you were like, yeah, like, you know, I pretty much like was on every day of my training plan and everything. And I was like, oh shit, he's, he's going to win this thing and bar none you did. And now you're going to States and, uh, man, I'm, I'm super excited for your race and Dakota, dude, thanks again for this, man. This was so fun chatting with you. Best of luck with uh, your training heading into States and your bike ride that you have ahead of you and the fundraiser. I know we'll be all supporting you, man. And, uh, appreciate you a ton. Thanks for again, for coming on. Hey, it's been really fun. Thanks a lot, Joe. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to do so. And if you absolutely love the show and want to support us in any ways, there's a few ways that you can do so. The first way is writing us a review on the platform of your choice. Reviews really, really matter and they help us to spread the word a lot more. So if you have the time to do so, would love that as well. Number two, you can join our Patreon community. Patreon helps us to support the show and helps us to grow and invest into new developments and growth. And on top of that, just for about $5 a month, you can get access to monthly calls with me where you can ask me anything on a monthly basis, connect with other members in the Everyday Ultra community, and ultimately get early access episodes without ads as well, which is super, super cool, all for about $5 a month. So that's a great way to support us. And then number three is taking care of our sponsors on here. So as you heard in the beginning of the podcast, uh, we had some sponsors in here. And if you want to invest into their product and uh, go try them out, they're all products that I've tried either in my training and I live by. I don't take any sponsorships from anybody I don't incorporate in my training. So uh, feel free to take advantage of their product and tell them that Joe sent you from Everyday Ultra. Those are three ways to support the podcast, but no matter which way that you choose or if you don't choose a way at all, just know that I really appreciate you for listening in. I know there's tons of podcasts out there. And the fact that you're listening to us, that really, really means a lot. All right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And remember, become a better endurance athlete every day, and we'll see you real soon. Take care.